Well, good morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to open up with me to the book of Galatians. We're going to be in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Uh, if I have not had the opportunity to meet you yet, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're streaming in for the first time, I just want to say welcome. My name is Matt. It is an honor to meet you. I have the honor and privilege of serving as our college pastor here in the life of Travis Avenue. This past week has been hard. It's been a challenge, has it not? Um, some of you, uh, you know, it's, whether it's widespread power outages across our city and state, whether it's frozen pipes, bursting pipes, um, we're back to being Lake Travis again. Um, there's been a lack of clean drinking water uh, for so many people across the city. Um, and you know what? It's also been encouraging to see the people to see the church just be the church, to see organizations and other businesses and just rise up to help meet one another's needs throughout this past week. And I just wanna share with you real quick, one way in which Travis Avenue is gonna be all about for our city is we want to have cheerful giving hearts. So for those that have been, been impacted by, maybe it was uh, the, the tragic um, accident that occurred out on I-35, or maybe it was those that are literally without clean, uh, purified water right now. Whatever it is, we want to help meet some of those needs that exist within the life of our city. So if you would be ever so faithful, in which you always are, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to give you the opportunity to just give towards that. And if you so feel inclined and just being led by the Lord to give financial means over to impact those that have been greatly impacted in a tragic way this past week and really this past two weeks, then I just want to encourage you, drop that money off in the box as you leave this place. Just somehow identify these words, Travis serves. If you'll put Travis serves, we'll know exactly what you're talking about and we'll get that money exactly to who it needs to go to. Travis serves, you give online, give in the, in the boxes at the door, whatever it may be, we would love to serve our city in that way. So yes, it's been challenging. Yes, it's been hard. But then, like I said, there's also these moments where you're just hearing of stories of neighbors rising up to help meet the needs of neighbors. But if you're like me, if you're like me, the more, and I, the more I think about and I pray through all that's transpired this past week and really, really this past year, all of 2020, on into 2021, really this past year, I just keep being reminded of this fact and it's so uncomfortable. I keep being reminded of how much I'm not in control. Is that you? Can some of you relate with this lately? And we keep just being reminded that we're not ultimately in control. You know, this tends to create some tension for us because, you know, the pervading issue amongst all of mankind is that we want to be in control. You know, we like things that are controllable. We like situations in which we can have a grip on things. So what happens in my life when my grip on things gets loosened and my routines and, and rhythms get disrupted and my schedule gets displaced. What happens in these moments, church, is ever so critical. My hope and prayer for us today, it's real simple. It's that amidst this season, 
my hope is that in this hour, we could be ever so intentional about fixating our eyes upon the author and perfecter of our faith. And specifically today, that we would be reminded of the good news of Jesus and the freedom that we have in him. In Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. We're reminded of the good gifts of freedom that God gives to his children. We're going to see in this text what we've been set free from. And we're going to see in this text what we've been set free for. I want to invite you to follow along as I read aloud. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But, I, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called the freedom brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now, Galatians 5 is all about how a follower of Jesus can live in true freedom. Now, but for some of you in this room, and maybe you're watching online, you oftentimes, when you think about Christianity, oftentimes you don't equate it to freedom. Some of you, when you think about Christianity, you think about restrictive uh, rules and, and regulations. And hear me, there are certainly thou shalt nots in the Bible. There's definitely boundaries in which Jesus uh, calls us and commands us to, to live within. But it's for the purpose of experiencing real soul satisfying freedom. Not fake freedom, not pseudo freedom, but the uncompromising, unrelenting, supreme freedom that's found in having a personal relationship with none other than Jesus Christ. And for proof of that, let's look together at verse one. Paul starts off in verse one, he says this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. One of the first things that Paul makes clear for us is that it's Christ that sets us free, which raises the question, what exactly have we been set free from? 
What exactly have we been set free from? Contextually, in the book of Galatians, if you were to read this letter from cover to cover, we would see that Jesus Christ sets us free from being enslaved to an indo, to a ritualistic, being enslaved to a ritualistic rule-based religion. Christ sets us free from that. We're not enslaved to some robotic relationship with God. We're not trapped in some empty ritualistic religion. We don't just pop in here on Sundays on one day a week and then none of this gospel affects the rest of our time throughout the remainder of the week. No, rather, this truth has some weighty implications for how we live our lives and that we've been set free from these things. This means that we don't work for God in order to hopefully gain his favor and acceptance. That's a good thing. Empty religion, it, it operates under this one principle. Empty religion, empty ritualistic religion, it operates under this one principle. It says, if I obey, I will be accepted by God. Christ set us free from that. The most basic principle of the gospel is that I am accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I obey. This is big time weighty truth because ultimately this means that spiritual freedom isn't something that can be manufactured by man. Rather, spiritual freedom, the deliverance of the bond, from the bondage and enslavement to sin is gifted to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He is our internal freedom and he is our eternal freedom. Now that's what Christ has set us free from. The never-ending hamster wheel of performance-based freedom and acceptance. And now let's go on to look at what he set us free for. You ready for this? I'm sure to seem rather simple. Paul says it right here. He says, it's for freedom. It's for freedom. Paul says you've been set free so that you can live free in Jesus. Now, doesn't it strike you as odd that Paul has to remind us of the purpose of why we've been set free? Isn't it odd that Paul has to remind us that we've been set free for the purpose of being free? It, like, shouldn't that be like the obvious statement that, that's being said here? And shouldn't that be like the obvious statement that's really understood? But apparently, our freedom can be forgotten. Uh, looking back on my senior year of college, I can remember wrapping things up. I'll never forget my last assignment um, was a 15-page uh, research paper on the etymology of the Greek word uh, for work. And if that's your last assignment, you tend to remember that. Um, I never, I'll never forget this anxiety in me that says, is this really it? If I turn in this assignment, is this really all that they're asking of me to do in this last home stretch? Surely there's something else I gotta do. I probably went online and checked my student account thousands of times. I would go back, I would scour the syllables. Is this really it? Am I really set free from this? Surely there's something else I gotta do. Some of you that maybe just recently graduated, you kinda know what I'm talking about. You remember that anxious moment, that feeling where you just sat back and went, is this really all that there is? I did the same thing with my master. Surely there's something else I got to do. I don't think I stopped checking that stuff until diploma was in hand. And that's what some of these false teachers are sharing in the churches of Galatia. They're saying, surely there's something else you got to do. Surely this is Jesus plus something. They were forgetting the freedom of the gospel. And some were even choosing to neglect that freedom. 
by going back to their former way of living, and which Paul likens in verse, at the end of verse 1 to a yoke of slavery. Now, here's, this begs the question, who goes from being made free only, wish to crawl, only wishing to crawl back into a prison cell in which the door has been wildly blown off of? Well, apparently, if we're being honest, and this stings, but apparently we're good at this. Recall the Israelites being delivered from Egypt and then wanting to go back into slavery. Unfortunately, we're getting good at living in this cycle of forgetting what's been done on our behalf. This begs the question, how do we abandon the habit of forgetting and, 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 and neglecting the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus? The first thing that Paul says to do right here in verse 20, he says, I want you to stand firm. One of the most common themes in all the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that God is telling us to remember, remember, remember. Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Why? Because we are so prone to forget. And that's why Paul's writing this rather aggressive letter. Stand firm. Don't forget. Remember, you have been set free for freedom. He's reminding those that have forgotten where our righteousness, our right standing with God, where it comes from. Sometimes we look to other places for a satisfaction that never has the chance, the slightest chance to fulfill or satisfy. In, um, in John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, he writes one of the most descriptive reminders of what it means to be free in Christ, what it means to be no longer shackled to regret and shame, no longer letting my past serve as my present place of imprisonment. I want to share it with you. Bunyan wrote this. He said, one day as I was passing in the field, he was out for a walk, he was thinking. And that was some dashes on my conscience, fearing that all was still not right. Because we're always wondering, there's got to be something else i got to do. Suddenly, this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. And I thought as well that I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, is my righteousness. So that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, John Bunyan lacks my righteousness because that righteousness is standing right there before him. I also saw that it was not my good frame of mind that made my righteousness better or my bad frame of mind that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness is Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God, and here I lived for some time sweetly at peace with the God through Christ. Oh, I thought, Christ, Christ, there was nothing before my eyes but Christ. That's a free heart. That's what Jesus died to give us. That's the freedom we stand firm in. 
The fact that God has justified me, declared me righteous through the finished work of Christ, this is something worthy of being continuously reminded of. So in your community group or your small group, go be the person that keeps reminding your brothers and sisters of the spiritual freedom that we have in Jesus. And keep reminding yourself of its implications. Because what's at risk if we don't? Think about that. What's at risk if we don't? Let's just ask the question. What's at risk if we don't remind ourselves continuously of this freedom that's been purchased for us by that of the bloodshed of the cross when he said it is finished? Here's the thing. Don't miss this. If we're not continuously reminding ourselves of this truth, of this gospel embedded truth of freedom, we're going to run the risk of getting confused between where you were in your past and where you're at now with Christ. And those are two completely different places. In my past, the Bible says that I was dead in my sin. Now in Christ, I've been made new. I'm a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. In my past, I had no spiritual pulse. I lived in a graveyard. Right now in Christ, I've been delivered from death to life. Look, when you forget where God's placed you, you open yourself up to be misplaced in a lot of areas of life. When you forget, this is worthy of repeating, when you forget where God's placed you, you open yourself up to be misplaced in a lot of areas of life. When we forget that our self-worth is found in what Jesus has said and done for you, that's when you start letting other people define your self-worth. That's when you start living this game of comparison. When you forget that you are in a personal relationship with the living God of the universe who cares drastically for you, that's when you start looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. When we forget that our freedom is in Christ and that his power holds that's when we began settling for the fake temporary freedoms that this world has to offer. Should we forget that freedom? We, we run the risk of turning back to a past that holds no power. And for an example of what that looks like, look at me in verse 2, 3, and 4 with me. Jesus says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are separate from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You who are looking for another means outside of Christ. You have fallen away. You've rejected this grace of Jesus Christ. Here, Paul points out that the Galatians were turning back to the law and circumcision in order to obtain a right standing with God. The problem with that is all the law ever did was reveal our brokenness. The law never freed us. It only revealed our status of enslavement. 
Yet it is Jesus that took on flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, upheld the law in every way imaginable. Therefore, he's the one we trust. Therefore, he's my savior. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. Not Jesus plus the law, not Jesus plus circumcision, not Jesus plus a 4.0 GPA, not Jesus plus some rigid, exhaustive self-discipline, not Jesus plus anything that derives from self. It's all about Jesus. So instead of trying to undo the work on the cross, the second big thing that Paul points out for us, he points out a a few things in verse 5. He gives us three principles for us to live by. You ready for this? In verse 5, he says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For through the Spirit, key principle, live a life that's led by the Holy Spirit. And here's why that's so hard. Because our circumstances and our emotions and our cultural trends and our flesh want to go one way. And Jesus is saying, no, this way is so much better. Live a life by the Holy Spirit. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Live a life by faith. Key principle. Live your life by a faith that's motivated by a genuine, sincere love for Jesus. Nothing else. Not Jesus plus something. No, just Jesus. Three, we eagerly, the text says, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What what does that mean? It means that we live a life that patiently waits for the promised ultimate freedom that we have promised to us in Jesus Christ, as opposed to just waiting and seeing if we can conjure up and manufacture some good works and just bank on our good works as opposed to his work that's already been accomplished. We bank on his righteousness. Those three principles, Paul says, that is what help you and I embrace what really matters. In verse six, Paul tells us what matters. He says it's not circumcision or uncircumcision. That doesn't matter. What matters is what what he points out is only faith working through love. What matters is our love for God and our love for others. Now look with me in verses 7 through 12. We're going to see something big that Paul again wants us to see. You want to know how to rightly relate to God and, and his grace. Look at this. Look at verses 7 through 12. He says, you know, you were running, running so well. Who hindered you? Who messed with you? This persuasion is not of him who calls you. This ain't from Jesus, Paul says. He says a little leaven leavens a whole lump. You know, it's like some of this is like, you know, one, a couple of bad apples get in the mix and all of a sudden it spreads like wildfire. And the, I would just whoever the one that is troubling you, they're going to bear the penalty, whoever he is. But he says, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, well, you know, why am I still being persecuted? And in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. He, and he says, I, I wish those that unsettle you would, would go and emasculate themselves. In verse, verse 8, Paul gives us the third principle that's so key for us to understand. Paul gives us a persuasion to avoid at all costs. He gives us a persuasion to avoid at all costs. What is this persuasion in verse 8 where he says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. What is this persuasion that Paul speaks of? Well, he's referring to the false teaching that's crept into the churches in Galatia. 
And he says to avoid false teaching like the plague that it is. You really don't have to wonder if he's mad about it. Because, oh, he's mad. Wishing emasculation upon someone is a pretty good indicator that he's not happy. So in order to rightfully relate to God and his freedom, you got to check your spiritual diet. you got to check your spiritual diet. Because there's some stuff out there that will wrongly persuade you. There's some stuff out there that will terribly mislead you. Paul's so passionate about avoiding this persuasion of false teaching, he goes on to list like a full-blown list of characteristics of a false teacher. Real quick, we're almost done. Look at verse 7 through 12. He says, verse 7, they distort, they hinder what's true. You want to know what a false teacher looks like? Verse 8, their teaching doesn't come from God. Or they'll take one aspect that does come from God and then they'll add their twist at the end. They're teaching, verse 9, their teaching will cause an infection throughout the church. Verse 10, oh, they will be judged. Verse 11, they persecute true teachers. In this case, they're persecuting Paul. Verse 12, Paul has such descriptive thoughts on the matter due to the fact that no one, and I mean, Paul says no one should hinder anyone from the true gospel. Our persuasion to avoid is is false teaching. And in in this particular context of Galatians, Paul wants us to avoid something that is highly offensive to God and that is extremely harmful to man, and that is legalism. What is legalism? We've all heard some right definitions. We've all heard some wrong definitions. I'm going to throw this one out at you. Warren Wiersbe says this. I believe this to be so true. He says, legalism does not mean the setting of spiritual standards. It means worshiping those standards and thinking we are spiritual because we obey them. It also means judging other believers on the basis of these standards. Living a legalistic lifestyle. Banking on a works-based effort, attempting to uphold the law as a means for salvation, this does nothing but produce false hope. And it is, its end is exhaustive. The remedy for sin is not found in legalism. And as I want to invite Garrett and the worship team up, I want you to hear this. Hear this. When it comes to the gospel, don't miss this. When it comes to the gospel, Really, every addition is really subtraction. Every addition is really subtraction. So if you find yourself wanting to ever tack on some new roles onto other followers of Jesus, some of the things that aren't clearly stated in Scripture, if this is you, if if that's you embracing that practice of legalism, It's that practice of legalism that does a few number of things towards the church. It belittles the gospel. It treats the cross as if it were a complete failure. It wrecks the freedom of our true gospel culture. It lessens the impact of our voice to our city, to those that are are, are watching world. And it helps deprive our friends in Fort Worth of the only salvation that exists. 
There's no life in that, fam. Avoid that persuasion. And then finally, we see what Christ has freed us to. In verses 13 through 15, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You want to be about this law, he said? You want to uphold this law? I'll go ahead. He said, I'll go ahead and summarize this law for you. Mirroring the words of Jesus. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What am I freed to? What are we as the church, as Travis Avenue, what are we freed to? It's not a freedom. Paul makes it clear in these verses we just read. It's not a freedom to sin. It's a freedom from sin. It's not a freedom to appease the flesh. This isn't about a freedom to, to go off and experience self-indulgence. No, in this gospel, I have been freed to love God and serve people, which is a miracle. Because God is now changing our affections to match his affections. That's a miracle because I had this heart of flesh and he took this heart of flesh and he gave it, he gave me a heart of stone. We have this to cherish. We have this truth to rest in and to be reminded of that it is in this freedom that we get to passionately, righteously and sacrificially seek the well-being of those that make up the life of our city of those that make up the life of your family, of those that make up the life of your circle, your, your co-workers, your classmates, whoever it may be. It's this freedom we get to encounter. And just as Jesus loves us, we're to love one another. You want to summarize all 600 plus of those laws? Jesus says, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Who is it? Man, I'm here to tell you, this, not, this may not hit well. This poked at me this week. Your neighbor is whoever's right next to you. If they look different, act different, talk different, walk different, think different, Jesus has a gospel for them. It's the same gospel that has redeemed you and I. You want, we want to be about this upholding God's law. Go love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. For this freedom, Christ died. For this freedom, he rose. For this freedom, he sent the Holy Spirit. Follower of Jesus, God's done everything to secure your freedom. And now we get to go live it. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and that it is so strong that it secures my salvation in you, Jesus Christ, and no one and nothing else. But God, I don't know why, I don't know how. Sometimes I seem to be in a rhythm of forgetting that it is the gospel that has the power to save. And I look out upon, not only in my life, but in the hurting lives of others. And sometimes I forget that it's your power, not mine. So God, we just wanna trust in your power. We believe that you want to literally sweep across this city and make your gospel known. And God, we want you to use us to do it. Help us to love our neighbor. 
Help us to continue and radically love our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see.